Welcome to AM. My name is Richard Conway, and this is the platform for age group multi-sport athletes to showcase their journeys. in uh, 2022 this is episode 42 and on this episode we've got a young man from Canada who reached out before um, Christmas I'd put a post out on one of the Facebook sites and he got in touch um, and since he'd listened to a few of the earlier episodes he said he'd like to come on and uh, share his story so James Lorenza from Canada um, will be coming up and uh, he's got an interesting story, albeit a short one so far, but uh, he's got big goals that he's set himself, both um, from a personal point of view and a multi-sport point of view, and it was really good to talk to him. Uh, I think it's probably one of the longest conversations that, that we've had, so hope you enjoy that. So back to it after the festive period, great to see family and friends as usual. We had a blast. Um, too many late nights and too much alcohol um, but if you can't enjoy yourself over the festive period well when can you do it so um, we were still doing a little bit of training the swimming pool was closed so I hadn't swum for a fortnight so that was a bit of a rude awakening when I uh, got back into the pool um, but we were still zwifting and running and we actually went and did a cross country run with our club WBC which was really nice because the weather was at the heady heights of 12 degrees and the sunshine was out and although it was muddy underfoot we had a really good time so enjoyed that one and we're back into the club um, club swimming and there'll be a track session coming up as well so back to normality as I said over the uh, Christmas period wasn't much going on in the um, sporting world that I follow anyway um, but as a Christmas tradition we sat down and watched the world's strongest man as is tradition in our, our house, uh, we watch it every year and I've done since the kids were little and um, yeah it was great to see young Tom Stoltman come away and become a world's strongest man um, we've watched him develop over several years and it's all his hard work's paid off so well done Tom and the other thing that I've been watching is the um, cyclocross um, been really good, been lots of races going on, the ladies and the men's, and in the men's the big three were back, and the big three, if you're not aware in uh, cyclocross terms, are uh, Wout Van Aert, Britain's Tom Pidcock, and Matthew Van Der Poel, uh, they're all uh, road cyclists as well, and um, yeah, it's been really good fun to watch them uh, battle out against each other, and to be honest, Tom's won a few, but um, Wout Van Aert is the... Uh, the unstoppable force at the moment and it was only due to a couple of um, mechanical problems he had that he hasn't won everything so uh, but really entertaining and in the ladies as well really great racing and um, Britain's Anna Kay has, uh, has been up there she's only a young a young rider but she's been up there in the top 10 top 15 being placed so it's great to see and great to watch if you haven't seen any of it uh, Eurosport or, or GCN and catch it on there and 
it's only 50 minutes to an hour worth of racing but some of the courses and their bike handling skills I've said before are just phenomenal so give it a go uh, and then I was um, sent a message by Nikki Dick who was on episode 33 and she wanted me to um, advertise some aquathons that are going on that herself and John Cowell are putting together um, so you can go over to the website page and find all the information and the details on there. And John's website is Applied Triathlon Coaching. Um, but he's also on Facebook, as is Nikki. And like I say, you can find all the dates and the information. And they're just held just outside of Nottingham. Uh, and I think there's about five in the series. So if you're interested, look it up and uh, get yourself there and have a go. So on to the main event. I hope you enjoy this as much as I did. I could have talked uh, a lot longer. This is a young man from Canada uh, who's fairly new to uh, age group racing, but I'm sure he's going to have a great future uh, once we all get back to proper racing. So hope you enjoy it. See you on the other side. Hi, James. Hi. How are we doing? Good, how are you? I'm great, thank you. Yeah, not so bad, not so bad. Thank you for um, joining us tonight, or your morning, I guess. Yeah. So you're um, you okay? Yep. Yeah. How's how's things over in Canada? Good. Um, the part of Canada I'm in is basically status quo right now, minus the fact you have to wear masks most places and have to show proof of vaccine to get in basically anywhere yeah but uh, in that status quo pools are open everything's fairly normal cool well that's good to hear everybody keeping safe so you uh, a little bit about your background and how you um got into multi-sport i guess from a what it looked like from your email a, a massive Massive interest in sport because there wasn't much else to do. Yeah, like I said, I uh, grew up in a little tiny farming community on the Canadian prairies, like 1,500 people. There's not a lot in town to do. There's no cities even really close to us. So got sucked into sport fairly young. Um, I'm four years younger than my older brother and he was already playing hockey and I would just run around the ice rink and cause trouble. So my mom threw me on skates when I was three. Right. So at least she could keep track of me if I was playing hockey. And then yeah. I uh, played hockey all the way through till I graduated high school. Along the way, kind of did everything. Played baseball, soccer, curled for a while, volleyball, whatever. And everything I was just kind of like, Fairly mediocre at just due to being naturally talented, but never like the best. So mm. it's kind of one of the second fastest kid, the second best hockey player type thing, but never quite good enough to do anything with it. And then got to high school. Our high schools where I'm from are grades seven through 12. Okay. And in grade seven, I thought I was going to be a sprinter. So I tried out for a track team, 
in like the 100, 200, and 400, and only made the team in the 400. And then the next year decided to do the 400, 815. And nobody else wanted to do any of those events. So I just got on the team for free. <laughs> Whatever works, and, eh? Yeah. And did reasonably well in the 1500 at like our regional meets and kind of thought like, Hey, I'm not bad at this. And there were some older boys from the same town I went to who had uh, medaled at our provincial level cross country meets. And I was like, well, I can already run this far. I should try running cross country. Started actually doing some training for the first time in my life. And the first year I ran, I did all right. I think I finished like around 20th at our provincial meet for my age. Hmm. And then kind of went back to playing hockey that winter in the spring, ran track, but our provincial meet ended up getting canceled due to the teachers were on strike. So then spent that whole summer training again. And in the fall ended up, winning my first provincial cross-country medal. Had a fairly successful cross-country career after that. Um, got recruited to the University of Regina to go run cross-country and track. And mm-hmm. so basically right after I graduated high school, like July 1st, packed up my bag, moved to Regina and started training with the team there. And... They had a very like old school cross country coach who kind of his, he called it his Bible was this book called running with the Buffalo, which was written by the university of Colorado's men's cross country coach in like seventies or eighties when they won like seven men's national cross country championships. And basically his entire coaching philosophy was, run far and run farther and run fast and run faster. Those were the two speeds and the two distances we ran. Mm-hmm. And it worked incredibly well for some athletes. Like he produced a couple national champions and like he had a teams that medaled at nationals on the team level and stuff. But overall it just kind of destroyed me. I got fairly fast, fairly quickly. And like six weeks after I joined the team, ran a 10 K and like 35 and change. And then like immediately the next week started limping because my hips hurt Mm. and spent the next two weeks or two years, sorry, not really being able to run. I would kind of get over one injury, do a return to run, start doing some hard workouts again. And then something else would go and then, the process just kind of repeated for two years yeah. and I eventually just got like frustrated with it. But in the meantime, when all this was happening, a friend of mine who worked at a bike shop um, wanted me to get a bike so I could come ride with them. And I was like, well, I'm not really running and gravel riding is really big in Saskatchewan because we don't have a ton of paved highway because mm. of the nature of where we are. It's very rural agricultural so he did some emailing some of the reps for the bike stores and found me a couple year old norco cyclocross bike 
that had been like sitting in a rep's office that he was trying to get rid of and happened to be the right size for me. So I got a really good price on a like entry level cross bike and kind of started riding that lots and did one gravel race and hated it. Thought like riding in the gravel stupid. Like you just go slow. I'd rather ride on the pavement and go faster. But kind of at the end of that summer, I was like, well, I, I don't want to give up running yet. And I like riding. Let's figure out how to speed swim and take up triathlon. Mm. That's kind of how I got into the world of triathlon. Yeah. Yeah. So you, you've got a great running background pedigree. That's a given. How did you find... Um, I mean, biking's biking, isn't it? Mainly, it's we've all done it from from kids and stuff. How did you find learning to swim? When I was a kid, like in Canada, basically every kid goes through the Red Cross Swim Kids Swimming Lessons programs. Yeah. So, like, I knew how to swim, yeah. and like my parents had a cabin at a lake, so I spent a lot of my youth like in the water so I thought it wouldn't be that hard and I was like oh, I'm fit this is gonna be easy to pick up but it was horrible <laughs> like I remember every once in a while I pick up my old training journals and flip throughs and look at some old workouts as kind of like a good reminder in how far I came and my very first swim workout I did it was out of some book I had that I bought at a bookstore. And basically it was like the workout was warm up for 200 meters and then do some drills. Mm -hmm. And then the main set was just like an endurance set. So it was like pick a distance and swim it easy. And then over the weeks, make that distance longer and then do a 200 meter cool down. So I did my little... 200 meters breaststroke warm up, did the drills, and then started doing front crawl for the main set. And I don't even think I made it to full 50 meters before I was <laughs> like gasping for air and like couldn't breathe and had to switch back to breaststroke because it was the only thing I could do without just gassing out. Mm. Then, kind of over that fall, Things just got kind of progressively better and better. And then my first winter, I joined the local multi-sport club, had like classes on throughout the week. So I joined their Sunday night swim group and got some actual like technical coaching mm -hmm. and helped give me some ideas for more workouts and stuff. And yeah. did that through the winter. And that helped a ton. Mm -hmm. And I mean... My first year of racing, it didn't swim great, but I could just kind of lean on my fitness a little bit. And I still raced relatively well. And I'm sure a lot of people would think like, oh, 14 minutes for an open water 750 sounds fast, but come away since then. So in my head, it feels slow. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. But I guess from a starting point, that is, that is pretty good, you know, considering it wasn't one of your strengths. Um, and how, can you remember when you you, you did your first um, triathlon? Was it, a, was it a sprint distance? And after you swim, do you remember where you were relatively to the pack? 
I did a, uh, my first one I did was this local race they do every year called the icebreaker. It's in a pool because it's in like Maine, and most of the lakes are either like still frozen or just starting to the ice break up kind of where we live. And it's a wave start. So they stagger people by like five seconds within the lane. Mm. So it's hard to remember exactly where I was, but I think I was probably in the ballpark of like 10th to 20th. Not exactly sure where, but not right up front, but not too far back. The race usually has around 80-ish people, so it would have been probably in the top quarter anyways. Yeah, yeah. And uh, no no doubt you progressed and, and did quite well towards the end of it with your running ability. Yeah, I remember, I don't know where I got off the bike, but I remember getting off the bike, and I had done brick workouts because I had read online how important they were. Yeah. I remember getting off the bike and racking my bike, and standing there staring at my running shoes and my brain couldn't figure out what it was supposed to do. Like it, it felt like forever I was standing there. I'm sure it was probably only five to 10 seconds, but I was just like in a fog, basically finally figured out I should probably put my shoes on and go and run. And I think I ran myself up into like, I think I finished third. In that oh. one. And I mean, it, it's a local race. And yeah. Like, I think I probably was around like an hour 10 or whatever, which is reasonable, but lots of bigger regional races and stuff that probably wouldn't even get you in the top five. So just yeah. based on the But still a good field. Yeah. And that, and that inspired you to carry on and uh, look for more races then? Yeah, I was, I was naturally really competitive from... Like I came from a competitive track background, like I said, so yeah. I like, I like to win and I kind of realized that if I wanted to keep doing well, I had to get faster. And I started looking at other races online and looking at previous results and going like, Hey, like I'm, I'm in a decent position, but if I realistically want to be competitive, I need to get substantially faster. I think I raced two more times that summer and then in the meantime I was one of my friends played on our university club rugby team like our university had a set of club sports that weren't governed by our uh, athletics department because there's sports that aren't played it like uh, there's no we have what's called the CIS in Canada, which is like the equivalent of the NCAA mm-hmm. in the United States. So mm-hmm. any sports that don't have a CIS national championship aren't under the athletics umbrella. They're under the club umbrella. And the clubs are all ran by the students on the teams. Mm-hmm. And my friend who's on the rugby club was like, well, you should look into starting a triathlon club. And I was like, that'd be cool. And I realized that uh, Triathlon Canada was looking at hosting their first ever university national championship. And I was like, this is perfect. We can start a team next fall. And then into the winter, we'll have this practice and whatever. And then next year, we'll be able to compete in the second one. 
But the first one ended up not happening due to they said lack of interest. And I did the only natural thing and hunted down the emails of every club in Canada that I could find mm. and every province's provincial governing body and TRICAN and sent out this huge email blast to everybody in the country and was like, we need to do something. And I got like a little bit of interest from some of the schools in the West and it took us a couple of years, but we ended up organizing the first ever Western Canadian university triathlon circuit that I kind of raced in only for one summer because the second year I would have raced in it, everything was shut down due to the yeah. pandemic. Yeah. But in the meantime, I kept doing age group racing mm. and in kind of the point of your podcast, I guess I ended up qualifying for my first age group worlds along the okay. way um, in racing in Lausanne. That was probably the highlight of my racing career so far is going to go to Lausanne and race. Yeah, good experience. So just, just going back to qualifying for representing Canada, how does that is it like in, in GB where there's qualifying races? Uh, and the other thing was, what what distance did you qualify in? Yeah, so I'm not 100% sure how it works, but my understanding is, like, Canada is, we obviously have Triathlon Canada that governs Triathlon in Canada. And... Each province in Canada has their own like governing body that governs it regionally underneath TRICAN. Mm-hmm. And my understanding is that each province can kind of like bid for spots that TRICAN's allocated. And the province I live in were smaller. So we got two spots for each age group in each race. Okay. And then race directors within the province. I think somehow get picked to get races. And I don't even know if I knew that the race was a qualifying race when I registered for it or even understood like that was a thing that you could do. But I signed up for this draft legal sprint and I think this was my second year racing. Yeah, it was my second year racing. And I, sh- I would have known by the time I got there that it was a qualifier because I meticulously read race packages. So, I w- And at that race, because there was two spots per age group, you had to finish top two within your age group to get your spot. Yeah. Um, and then I would have qualified through that race. Don't I've raced that race twice, and I can't remember in my head which race was which, but I do remember like coming out of the water decently near the front, but like everything was kind of like, everybody's still relatively close. Both years I've raced it kind of the same thing happened on the bike where where this guy I know who's a couple years older than me. So he would have been in the age group ahead of me actually, but Mm. we all raced together. He's this little bit slower swimmer than me, but a fairly strong cyclist. Caught me on the bike, 
and we kind of started rotating through and we picked up a couple of riders as we were going and ended up in like a group of five or six and nobody else was really taking poles off the front. So I remember looking at Mike and going like, we got to shell some people if we're not going to haul these guys to the end of the bike ride. So me and him just started dropping bombs, knowing we were going to ruin our own run, but we had to dump <laughs> some people. And if I remember correctly, I know me and him came into T2 together, possibly one other rider. And I don't know what place I finished overall, but I must have been top two in my age group for sure anyways, because I got my spot. Yeah. yeah. And what age group was that, James? That would have been 20, what is it, 20 to 24 or 21 to 25, whatever that age. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And do you often, you said that you didn't realise at the time it was an age group qualification, because over in, in the UK, we've got to actually register to, to um, say that we're interested in qualifying at that particular race and we've got to pay a fee. Is there nothing like that for you guys or do you not have to do that? So it's changed. The first year I qualified, just like at the award ceremony, it worked kind of like how Iron Man does it, where they would just be like, okay, hey, you qualified. And if you were there, you could claim your spot. And if you yeah. weren't, it would just roll down on the spot. Yeah. But the year after that, when I qualified to go to Edmonton, which of course ended up not happening, but that year you did have to pay like an admin fee and put in an interest and you got an email like a week later saying qualified. Yeah. Oh, so, you, so you do it retrospectively rather than before the race. Yes. Well, yeah. So it's changed now. Now you have to do it before the race. Oh, you, right. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. So what did you think of your whole experience in Lausanne then? How did that, you know, I I raced kind of like garbage because I had done like a pretty heavy spring race schedule. And then I, I think I did my last race before Lausanne about four or five weeks out. Mm. And then I took like, I mean, after a sprint, I usually don't need a lot of time to recover. So I took a couple of days off slash easy and then got back into things and then got like a sinus cold and I was like, well, I don't want to carry this all the way through the world. So I need to take a couple of days off to take care of this. And after like three days felt better, started training again, trained for like three or four days. No, started running again. That was kind of like my whole August. Like I couldn't string together any good amount of training because every time I tried get sick again. Mm. So I kind of had to, go fairly easy into Lausanne. Got to, we flew into Paris, I think about 10 days before I raced. Spent three-ish days in Paris. The first day we landed, when you fly from Canada, you fly overnight. Mm. So we got to Paris kind of like early afternoon. And I was Googling tracks because I wanted to go run somewhere. And I, found one that wasn't far from the Airbnb we were staying at. And it ended up being like right in the shadow of the Eiffel Tower. So that was super oh, cool. Yeah, like nice. I was, it wasn't, it was a weird track. It wasn't a full 400 meters. It was like 300 and some meters. 
but it was super cool, like running, like the Eiffel Tower tipped over, it would probably land on this track, like you're right yeah. there. Super cool. So that was cool. And like getting to be in Paris, I've never been, was neat. And we took the train to Lausanne, I think probably about a week before race day. And that was neat. Like we don't really have a train system in North America. And the one we do have isn't good and nobody really uses it. So getting to take the train was a little bit neat and got to be a tourist a little bit. And then got to Lausanne and spent the last week kind of doing taper workouts and being a, again, a, bit of a tourist. We went to Geneva one day and I'm a bit of a science nerd. So getting to go to CERN, the super collider was super interesting. And then, and a race day rolled around and of course nervous as always and did my warm up. was feeling surprisingly well considering my kind of crappy month of training and the fact that I've been a tourist for the last 10 days and wasn't really probably resting as much as I should be. It was a non-wetsuit race, which kind of freaked me out. <laughs> and like, I'm a, I mean, I've become a decent swimmer. But compared to guys who are going to swim into like the low 10 minutes, mm. like it was like every, any advantage I can get is huge. And I remember being freaked out by that lake too, because in Canada, all of our prairie lakes are full of a lot of silt and like mm. kind of organic matter and whatever. Like sometimes you can't even see your own fingertips when you're stroking. But in that lake, you can see the bottom in like 40 feet of water. And like I could see fish swimming under me and stuff. And there's like these big weeds in that lake. And in part of the swim, you were deep enough. You couldn't see the bottom of the lake. But you could see these big weeds coming up out of the abyss. It was kind of like freaky. Yeah. But so my whole week that I was like doing training swims, I was like, this is like I kept having panic attacks in the water. And I was like, this yeah, is yeah. wild. Yeah. Luckily on race day, I guess it's like you're so focused on what you're doing, you're not really paying attention to that. And I remember we the course was like straight out, make a left turn, go along the shore, and then come back into the shore at a different place than where you went out. Mm -hmm. We hit the first corner. And I was like in, I mean, I was probably like 10 rows back, but I was like in the leading pack. And I was like, how am I this close to the front? And then going around the first turn buoy, the race kind of blew apart. I'm not sure how far I ended up back, but mm -hmm. on the next stretch, the guys who were strong swam away from everybody else. And I kind mm -hmm. of got shelled out the back. Mm -hmm. I think I swam relatively decently for myself for non-wetsuit. Um, and then got on the bike. It was an extremely hilly bike. And the, again, the part of Canada I'm from is basically pancake flat. Right. Like I can, I've started training for longer stuff now and I'll go for like 100K training rides and do 40 meters of climbing in the whole <laughs> ride. So like doing a sprint that had over 100 meters of climbing in the course of a sprint was crazy so i there's a valley not far from where i live and i tried to do some climbing rides but and i think it 
kind of paid off. Like I rode reasonably well. I remember the lead pack from the race behind who started like in the way behind us must've been the 25 to 29 year olds came blowing by me at like the 8k point. And I managed to get like stuck on the back of that group for like probably a minute. And then of course they went flying by and then the second pack from that group went by and I managed to grab them. And I just kind of did that the whole bike. Like it's these packs of fast guys were blowing by me and try and jump on the wheel and get sucked along as long as I could. And then eventually they dropped me and I just keep going until another pack went by. Yeah, because there's nothing worse, is there? There's nothing worse than being like stuck in no man's land on your own. Yeah, it's just awful. Um, so yeah, that was a that was a good a good ploy to try and uh, jump on those those packs and get some respite. Yeah, so got off the bike, and the first chunk of the run was like you run along the lake, so it was pancake flat. And then I think it was right around 1,500 meters to a mile-ish. You turned up, because Los Angeles in a valley, so you turn up the mountain away from the lake and ran up this hill. And I was remember thinking, like, 10 steps up this hill, like, I'm done. I'm going to have to walk. Like, all of a sudden, my whole race is, like, unraveled all at once. I yeah. think that was kind of like that month of, junk training just kind of hit me all at once so i was just like didn't have the fitness to carry that speed anymore i did manage to not have to walk but i basically like power hiked up that hill Mm. came down was going up the second hill and my friend mike the guy who i was mentioning earlier who i raced with at the qualifier he had started in the way behind me because he's older and he caught me going up the second hill and my zipper on the back of my suit was stuck halfway down. And he goes, do you want help with your zipper? And I heard his voice and I was like, yes, like it was him unzipping my zipper at that point felt like a lifesaver, just like getting a little bit cooler and kind of unrestricting myself a little bit, got up that hill and then went down. I believe there was a third climb and came down the third climb and ran the 2K-ish back to transit or the finish line. And I remember just the whole way back being like, this is awful. It sucks. Like, I don't want to do this anymore. I was like, I, I quit. Like, I'm never racing again. Then I hit the finish line and was like, that's cool. Can't wait till next year. Like, <laughs> That's standard, isn't it? Standard after you have an awful, awful experience and then thinking, yeah, I really want to do that again. Um, am I going to be better? It's just, yeah. That was kind of the last time I have really raced because the next year would have been 2020. And I think I did one or two sprint time trials on my own. Mm. And a group of like eight of us did, a, we just kind of showed up at the one park that we normally actually host races at the one Sunday and did like a, like just a time trial thing where we did like a super sprint. And then we did a second one. And the second one we did, we left 
based on our finish time from the last one. So the fastest guys started last and chasing. Hmm. And we did a third one that we did it in reverse order. So we ran and then biked and then swam. That was all I did really in 2020. Yeah. And then 2021, my plan was to race Edmonton. I'd qualified originally in the sprint, but due to all of the craziness of stuff being canceled and whatever, Triathlon Canada had, they had a method of reallocating spots to people who qualified. So people who qualified in the sprint that didn't want to go to Bermuda could take a spot in Edmonton. And I had bought a TT bike and kind of fell in love with that and decided like, I don't really want to do the draft legal and I don't want to pay the money to travel to Bermuda. And Edmonton was like an eight hour drive from where I live at the time. Sure. But of course that ended up getting canceled. I did get to race, race twice, just once, twice this summer. Yeah. I raced a sprint and then, like I said, I kind of started really enjoying my time on the TT bike. So I, it was a really weird distance race in my home province. Everybody calls it a one third distance Ironman. It's like a 1500 meter swim and then a 62 K bike and a 13 K run. Mm -hmm. I did that. And then it's kind of where I'm at now. Now did that go? Good. I finished second overall in that. No, well done. Yeah. I got a little bit lucky. My, the guy who coaches me is an ex pro and he's currently in the process of working on getting his pro card back. And he cracked his bike frame like two days before the race and couldn't race. So I got a free spot out of that. <laughs> <laughs> Probably would have been third if Sean was there, but. Hey, you've got to check it all, haven't you? Whatever breaks you get, you know. That's cool. I mean, that's that's a, an interesting journey into multi-sport and um, you've had a, an interesting um, few races and you've done really well to get to, to race for Canada at such a young age. Uh, plenty of things to come in the future, I'm sure. Well, well done on all that. So, so you you said in your email that you've moved um, to Victoria, British British Columbia. And yeah, how's so that Good. I like it here lots. Um, like I said, I grew up on the prairies, and the yeah. prairies are when you picture the cartoon of Canada with eight feet of snow and minus forty degrees Celsius and wind going. 50 kilometers an hour. That's basically where I grew up. Yeah. Like that was our winters, mm. but the Island is fairly temperate. Like most days right now in the middle of December, or five above zero and we get rain lots of days, but you don't have to shovel the rain. So I'll take rain. In That's a day. True. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So you've, you've found your way into um, any clubs or anything since you've moved or you, how's the training going? Good. So, like I just mentioned, I do have a coach. I'm still working with the same guy from Regina. Um, when he was racing pro, he actually lived out here for a while. And okay. he hooked me up with a local club, and I did some swimming with them. They're like, that session just ended a couple of weeks ago, and I so I haven't really done much with them mm. the last few weeks. I do work shift work, which has been a bit of an yeah. adjustment because it just yeah. graduated nursing from, right yeah from nursing in yeah. april so 
learning to adjust my training schedule kind of around that has been yeah. a bit of a learning curve, but yeah, things are going well. Yeah, you'll get into that and it'll become normal, I guess, and you'll just you'll just work your training around around work, won't you, in your life. So Yeah. Don't really operate on a seven day week anymore, like not like Sundays or long run days. Yeah. I training cycles kind of based on I work like so when I go to work, I'll work two days and then have twenty four hours off go back and work a night shift and then I have some days off after that. Yeah. yeah. My, my training schedule is kind of based around like the cycle starts kind of when I get off my first, my night. Yeah. Then I kind of do some bigger days when I'm off of work and then when I'm at work, do some recovery days and then doing my 24 hour kind of turnaround day, which is what I'm in today. Yeah. I try to get like kind of some moderate distance workouts in with medium amount of intensity. And then usually the first day coming off a night shifts, I'm useless. So if I can get out for like a 30 minute jog and just get the body moving again and get ready to go back to work for the next set, it's kind of what I've started doing. It seems to be yeah. working so far. So. Yeah. Well, it's going to be, um, trial and error isn't it you know until you and and let's face it these things are from my experience they're all ever changing and ever developing and you know you've just got to go with the flow and do whatever works for you because we're all individuals aren't we and you know what works for you doesn't necessarily work for anybody else so don't ever let anybody tell you that what works for you is not the right way of doing things because they don't know you you know so so good. Well, that's that's great to hear that it's all it's all falling into place for you. And uh, congratulations and graduating. And and um, you know, was nursing something that you always wanted to get into? No. So, like I said, I went to university basically to run track and field originally. Yeah. Like I, I didn't know what I wanted to do with my life, but I knew I needed to. If I wanted to run at a university level, I had to take something. And so I started doing kinesiology in uh, exercise physiology stream just because I was interested in the body and thought yeah. it'd be interesting and could maybe apply some of the performance stuff to my own life. So I started doing that and then I kind of got to Christmas time uh, during my third year of education. Got to Christmas time in my third year and uh, it was kind of like, what do I want to do with my life? Like lots of people who take that stream end up going into like physiotherapy program, mm-hmm. master's degree or chiropractic or occupational therapy or those kind of things. But I was like, I don't want to do any of that. And here I am like most of the way through a degree and I don't know what I want to do. So when I was home at Christmas, my mom was like, oh, you should try being a nurse. And I was like, at that point I was just kind of like, I don't really know what I want to do. So why not? So I applied to get into the nursing program and was like, I'm going to give this a shot. And basically my plan was to try it for a year and see how it went. And took my first year of nursing and was kind of found a passion for that and decided that this is, I mean, 
optimally I would get paid to race for Athlon, but that's <laughs> so, yeah. so few and far between. So if I have to work a real job, it may as well yeah, be man. something I enjoy and I yeah. like nursing. So yeah, happened to work out, I guess. Not lucky. Well, you make your own luck at the end of the day, I believe. Um, and you know, it's not, these things are not forever. You can, you know, not many people stay in the same job these days in my experience forever. So it's, it's all just a pathway, isn't it? The one big thing that's appealing in nursing to me is like, I work surgical nursing now, like uh, post-op, but there's so many different areas under like the big umbrella of nursing. Like there's public health jobs that you work nine to five in an office doing vaccine clinics and public outreach and whatever. And there's, intensive care and there's operating room and emergency room and they're all so different under the big umbrella so like you said nobody seems to do the same thing for a long time anymore yeah i have a fairly short attention span so i can't (laughs) see myself being where i'm at for more than a few years so i'm sure eventually i'll want to do something else but it's really easy to move around as a nurse and do other kinds of nursing yeah, and never dull and never boring. If things are, you know, can move around and do things, you know, different things each time, it's it's really good. So that's good, good. Well, good luck with it all, and um, I'm sure you'll do very well in whatever you you choose to 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 end up doing. And um, yeah, so we can go on to the. Uh, I've got a few quick fire questions now, um, and they're very very straightforward. And the first one is, what's your favourite bit of kit? I've been listening to your podcast a little bit, trying to prepare, and I've been thinking on this. <laughs> I knew this question was well coming. Done. It's hard. Um, yeah. I don't know. I, this sounds kind of goofy, but I'm a big data junkie. So, right. like, things like Training Peaks and even, like, I just use my laptop and I have spreadsheets everywhere. Yeah. Just, like, I don't know. I guess my laptop is my most important piece of equipment. That's just where I my home base yeah that's brilliant that's a a new um a new answer i've never had that one before so congratulations on being the first to give that answer but yeah i mean it is important isn't it to find out you know using we use our laptops for so much in training um zwift for example and you know we use it for everything really Uh, yeah training peaks or whatever um yeah so that's a, a really good answer just in, did you hear the um, fellow Canadian that I interviewed? Well, I've, I've interviewed two guys, actually. One was a guy called Brock Gibbs, who's an author. I can't remember which episode he was on now. Um, and no, he wrote, I haven't. I, I just, well, I just found out about you when you posted in that group the other day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and so I listened to your first three or four episodes now. I'm sure I'm going to keep listening through them. Oh, cool. I haven't heard okay. any other Canadians so far. Yeah. Well, uh, Brock, he's a, he's, he's a guy that was on and um, he's wrote this, this really funny triathlon book called my coworkers think I'm a pro. Uh, and uh, yeah, it's really entertaining. That's so if you, listen, if you listen to that one, it's uh, he's on Instagram as well. It's uh, that's a good listen. And um, a couple of weeks ago, I had uh, Paul Larson on who's um, the author of Hit Training. Oh, I saw the title for that one when I was yeah. scrolling through your page. I, yeah. I didn't realize he was Canadian. Yeah, he's Canadian. And um, why I brought that up, actually, was because he's 
he's got a platform now called Athletic AI. It's a it's like training peaks, but the computer pretty much plans your your routine on all the information that you put in. So it really it's really oh, cool. Interesting. Yeah, really, really cool. So it's worth having a look. That's the only reason I brought it up. You being a um, you know, computer nerd and all that, you'd love it. You'd love it. So but the podcast's really good. He's a really interesting guy to um to listen to. So there's a couple for you for you to to get your teeth into. Um Oh, I'll have to check that out. Yeah. So what's been your favourite um, event that you've done? Favourite event? Um, I'm realising I like the longer stuff. And right. I mean, that one-third distance Ironman I did, I had a blast. It's probably the most fun I've had racing in a long time. But, I mean, that's the only longer race I've done, so it kind of wins by default. I'm sure once they start doing some other longer stuff, yeah, maybe something will kick it out of first spot. But right now, it's probably my favorite race I've done. What um, advice would you give to anybody wanting to get into triathlon? What did I – I read something the other day. It was like um, something along the lines of like – it was worded way better, but – gist of it was like use what you got type thing like some people get into this sport and are convinced that like they see guys riding five ten thousand dollar bikes and with all the fancy kit and the tt helmets and whatever and but so many people get like intimidated by that but yeah like i mean your first race you need a, a bike like does it have two wheels you're good to go. Like just figure it out. And I mean, it's an expensive sport. You got to be careful and like, don't want to blow your life savings and buying a bike and then hate doing it. So just enjoy yourself and don't get caught up in the equipment. If you decide you like it, you can start picking stuff up as you go, but yeah. Yeah. Very wise. Yeah. That's yeah. Yeah. Cause a lot of people do get intimidated and, and then go out and buy a, like you said, an expensive bit of kit, whether it's a bike or whatever, and then pack in a, a year later. You can pick up some really nice bargains actually doing it. Yeah. yeah Having a look yeah. on these secondhand sites, to be fair. Well, I remember my very first race I did. I raced on that cycle cross bike I had that I threw some uh road bike tires on. Yeah. I remember rolling into transition that morning and was hanging my bike and setting my shoes up and whatever. And I was eavesdropping on this conversation and I hear some guy compliment another guy's bike. And he goes, Oh yeah, I got it custom built when I did my first Ironman. I'm like, who the hell is this guy with a custom built <laughs> TT frame and ended up beating him on my cyclocross bike. Like, so, I mean, it's, like I was getting like in my own head, I was like, who, like, what is some guy doing racing in Regina on a custom built PT frame? Like, who is this guy? Yeah. Turns out he was just some dad with a could afford it. The, yeah, who could afford it and bought himself <laughs> a nice bike. And I mean, good for him. But I yeah, mean, yeah. in my own head that morning, I was like, what is going on right now? Like <laughs> Yeah, it the kit doesn't mean anything. Have you heard the saying, all the gear and no idea? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that, that counts for a lot, I think. Next question is what um, resources, like could be books, it could be uh, websites, or do you use for your 
your training or for, for triathlon in general that you could like share and uh, say to people it's a really good thing to to look at? Yeah, it's kind of changed throughout my career. When I first started, I didn't have a coach yet. So like, I mean, the local triathlon club was big and just talking to people. I found triathletes tend to be very friendly and love to talk about themselves. So <laughs> Hence this podcast. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah. I mean, if you just, if you take the time to just ask locals like, oh, what do you do for this or whatever? And you can kind of pick up on the vibe of what people do. And I've heard people say this on your podcast, the few I've listened to, Triathlon Terran was big when I first started listening. I remember him, like, when he wasn't even Triathlon Terran yet, he was like yeah. A-Race Terran or something like that. Or, and that was like great when I started racing. He was just starting YouTube. And honestly, I think he's an incredible resource for the mm. probably 98% of people that aren't at the very tippy toppy of the sport. Mm. I think his his advice has kind of become below the level I'm trying to race at now. But for most people, I think he's a wonderful resource. Yeah. And he's um, real, isn't he? Yeah. I like him. Like I'm so he lived in Winnipeg before he moved. Where's he moved I'm, to now? He lives up on actually the north end of Vancouver Island. Right. So right. I live on the very south end of the island. He lives up yeah, island yeah. somewhere. I'm not yeah. exactly sure where. But I know some guys from Winnipeg who all know Taryn because they yeah. train with him and race with him and whatever. And they all say he's like a super nice guy in real life too. And yeah. Some of them have like bought in secondhand gear off of him or he's given them like Roka wetsuits because I mean Roka gives him a new wetsuit. Yeah, yeah. You need two of them. And he just like gave a wetsuit to one of the young guys who's trying to race at a high level and like super nice guy from what I understand. Yeah. But kind of now that I've progressed further in my career, I really lean on my coach a lot because I mean Sean's raced at a pro level and that's eventually my goal is to race at a pro level and also just like looking at what the pros are doing there's so much info out there mm. on youtube you can go watch lionel sanders or like that triathlon life with paula finley and eric and but i think a lot of age groupers need to be careful watching their stuff because that's their job and it's really Absolutely. easy to get sucked sucked into what they're doing so it's good to look at them and aspire and pick up tips and tricks but don't try to do what they're doing because you're not them and you probably can't do what they're doing <laughs> oh that's so that's so wise you know because we all we all look at what the pros do and even even me at my old age and you know it's like yeah it's good for them but like you just rightly said that's their job and they're at the top of their their game aren't they um so but yeah yeah it's uh it's i wasn't really into um the longer distance um triathlons i was more age group and more the um olympic distance and sprint distance and the itu and and that set up watching the brownlees obviously being a brit and you know how exciting the racing was but the last 
I don't know, the last couple of years I've got into the longer distance. And I think it's because of the crossover between all the athletes. You know, you're getting like yeah. Blumenthal coming over and just wipe, you know, wiping the floor with everybody and breaking world records. And yeah. uh, Gustav Eden is his con- fellow countryman doing the same. And it's just that crossover sort of like brought my interest in. And it's uh, plus, I think, with um, Challenge Daytona as well, it's being more available on TV and making it more watchable, being on yeah. a circuit and stuff. I think it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's pretty cool now. There's lots of stuff like that, like between challenge and super league, they're really doing a push for making triathlon more spectator friendly, which is good. Yeah. I think super league is like, fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. My speaking of like, the Olympic stuff. My very first memory of triathlon, I probably would have been what year was Beijing? 20, sorry, 2004 or 2008. Yeah. So I, I would have been eight or 12 because I was born yeah. in 96. So whatever year Beijing was. Yeah. Um, I remember watching the race on our TV at my parents' cabin. It was this little like, probably 17 inch tube TV mm. and watching like, this is a famous moment in Canadian triathlon. Simon Whitfield had been dropped by the leaders and with like 500 meters to go, he threw his hat off and went sprinting and ended up finishing third, I think in that race, he medaled. I can't remember place he finished, but that was like my first triathlon memory. And I think, Thinking back, it's probably like ending up in triathlon was probably inevitable at some point, especially once I started running. Mm. After watching that, I always had like this keen interest in triathlon, but there was no access to it where I was growing up. Yeah. Yeah. Which makes it all the more um, incredible, actually. You've ended up where you've ended up. Uh, 2008, by the way, that's when Beijing was. But it was, yeah. So it would have been yeah. 12. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's amazing how um, instances like that that you can be watching sort of like formulate in your head, and then you know, lo and behold, a few years later, you you're doing it yourself. So, and I think that's the beauty of that's the beauty about the other thing about triathlon is that you can actually go to a race, um, and you can be racing on the same track and things as the pros are. There's not many other, you know, you can't go and play. Um, you know, soccer over here and go and play Old Trafford or, you know what I mean? Um, yeah, so that's, yeah. that's the other beauty of, of doing, of doing triathlon or, you know, so, so did we answer, did we answer the last question? We went off, we went off on a tangent. Did we answer the, the question about, <laughs> I can't remember what your answer was about resources. Yeah. So triathlon Taran was one, wasn't it? Yeah. And then now moving forward, like my coach and pros and yeah. 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 So, who's your favorite pro that you that you follow and you like? Uh I'm a big like. I I don't know. It's hard to say a favorite. I watch Lionel a lot. Just yeah. I mean, I wouldn't even say he's my favorite, but I just I like his kind of, especially like his race week series. Right. It's kind of like trash talky stuff with Cam Worf and stuff. I find hilarious. <laughs> Yeah. I grew up playing hockey, and like I said, oh. hockey trash talk such a big part of hockey that watching Lionel kind of like bicker with Cam Worf and stuff, I find hilarious. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I really like 
It's that triathlon life. It's Paula Finley and Eric Langstrom. She's a Canadian Olympian who's moved into long course and he's her, uh, I don't know if they're engaged or just together or whatever, or what they're, but he's a pro too as well. And he started doing some Xterra stuff. Okay. And they're interesting. Um, those have been watching lately. Actually, I watch this guy on YouTube. His channel's called Working Triathlon or something. Right. He's, he's actually at a very similar place in his life as me. He races with uh, Team Everyman Jack, which is like a U.S.-based um, age group team, but they're all over the country. And they're all kind of people who are at the tippy-toppy end of the age group field. And he's a very similar point as me. He's in his 20s. He's kind of at the pointy end of age group races, wants to start racing pro. I think that's kind of interesting to watch somebody else who's kind of at the same place I'm at. Yeah, great for getting tips and, you know, yeah. seeing things he's doing right and not not doing so well. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Good resource, though. Cool. So final question or questions. What are your short-term and then your longer term goals. Uh, so short term, this this summer, my I'm gonna do for sure two half Ironmans, possibly three. Yeah. And really, my goal for those, I don't really have performance goals for those, but I just want to like get my feet wet in the long course distance and learn how to race. I remember hearing you talk about this in some of your earlier podcasts about like all of the dumb mistakes people make early on. I can't remember if it was you or somebody else talking about like forgetting to untie their shoes and transition too. So yeah. get, getting off the bike and getting to put their runners on and their shoes were still tied. Yeah. That'll be broke Gibbs. <laughs> yeah. And like, you got to make those dumb mistakes. Yeah, the yeah. only way to make them is to race. Yeah. I think that that's like my big goal for this year is to just, get out there in the long course world and make some dumb mistakes so I can learn from them. And then long-term, like I said, probably in the next two to three years, I do want to get my pro card and start racing professionally. I don't know how it works in the UK, but like based on how it works in Canada, I could probably apply for and get my pro card now if I wanted it. Right. Because there's, there's lots of races I like look at results and like I would beat the guys finishing last in the pro races. Yeah. But the thing is, is like I don't want to show up to a pro race just to get smashed out the back and not even be part of the race just to mm. say I'm a pro. No. I want to spend another two or three years and get myself to the point where if I do eventually start racing pro, I mean – I think the guys like Blumenfeld and like that are beyond reach, but at least I can be in the race and feel like I'm part of it and yeah. maybe get shelled after four hours instead of after 45 minutes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That sounds better. Yeah. Yeah. And it isn't a, it isn't a cheap thing to do and they don't, you know, obviously the guys at the top get pretty well paid now, especially with super league and things. I'm not sure yeah. how it works in, in the longer longer course um, ranks, but uh, you know it's not they don't get a lot of money at the end of the day. It's not they do it for the love of it, and they don't they don't 
like have the the life of Riley. They don't have a high life, do they? It's it's because they love doing it. So yeah, yeah. Well, that's I mean they they're too um, you know especially the longer distance one. Good luck, good luck with that, and we shall definitely. Uh, are you on Instagram, James? Yeah, uh, I think my handle is just my name. And have I got your second name right? Is it Lorenzen? Yes, correct. Yeah, cool. Yeah, my handle is just James Lorenzen, all lowercase, no right. periods, no underscores, nothing. That's cool. Well, we shall definitely keep keep an eye out on on how you're doing. I like to I like to keep an eye out on all the guests now that have come on and see what they're up to. And um, Instagram is pretty much the place that that um, I'm on and um, we keep in touch with. So that'll be, that'll be pretty cool to watch you in the future. So thank you ever so much for uh, taking your time out to, to chat. It's been a real pleasure. Uh, yeah. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Take care and good luck with everything. Cheers. Bye. Bye. Well, really enjoyed that chat. Um, could, could have talked on and on just about, multi-sport in general um it's just so easy when you've got somebody as enthusiastic as james who comes on the show and um, has lots to say uh but thanks once again james for reaching out and coming on and good luck with everything that you do hope you manage you to achieve your short term and your long-term goals especially your long-term goals and we're right behind you and um yeah good luck so finally our lifestyle hack um sleep it's something that we all do and some of us do it better than others it's a thing that we all take for granted i guess not a lot of thought goes into it we just feel tired go to bed and hopefully get some good rest um but there's a lot more to it than that um i've read a couple of books and quite a few listened to quite a few podcasts over the years and um the first guy that got me really interested in it was a guy who holds a podcast um, called The Model Health Show, and it's Sean Stevenson. And he's had a few episodes on sleep, and he's actually wrote a book about it. Um, and it just got me to thinking, well, if it's if it's really important um, to, to aid recovery, then why wouldn't you look at actually what you do habitually? So the first thing that we started doing was trying to make the room as dark as possible so we swapped out our normal curtains for blackout blinds and that curtailed the light uh, that was coming in from outside so it's nice and dark now and another thing that's said to be really good is um, not having the room too hot or too cold and that's a bit difficult when there's two of you sleeping in the same um, room because we're all different as humans so we all have different tolerances um, but we seem to have got it right. And being an old house, it's quite cold anyway. Um, so sometimes we'll have uh, an extra extra sheet over or blanket, and sometimes we don't need it. Um, but trying to regulate the temperature, which helps you sleep, is is a is a good way of um, helping. We also started drinking chamomile tea before we go to bed, about an hour beforehand, because that has the soothing properties, which uh, also helps with sleep. And before we get into bed, we have a, a cream which we rub on our feet and that's um, got magnesium in it. And again, it's uh, one of those properties that's supposed to help soothe um, and help you go to sleep and get a, a better night's sleep. So, you know, 
all these things you can only try and uh, those are some of the things that we are actually trying uh, I also read about half an hour or 45 minutes before we go to sleep and that just switches off the mind if you've got a nice good storybook fiction usually um, that really takes your mind off what's gone on during the day and again because you're not your mind's not racing it it really helps uh, just to relax you and, and take you away uh, as books do in general and a couple of the other things that they reckon um, that you shouldn't do before you go to sleep are exercise because that raises your body temperature um, which you don't want eating because that takes away from your body actually repairing and processing during the night because now it's if you've ate something it's got to um, it's got to digest and, and process that instead or as well as and uh, alcohol uh, is is a big one if you're having alcohol before before you go to bed although it helps you sleep um, and get off quickly um, it can disturb your sleep and I can vouch for that um, because I've got a, the Garmin app which has a sleep um, part to it and on the app it gives me a sleep score and also it breaks down what type of sleep that you've had and how much of each such as deep sleep and REM and light sleep and awake time and I can guarantee that if I've had alcohol um, then my sleep score just plummets I mean I'm usually around about 89 and it'll it'll plummet if if I've had a good few glasses of red wine uh, it'll plummet down to about 39 so it seems to be accurate uh, on that score and that's a good a good indicator if you've not got that um, ability on your watch or you've got not got that app um, it's it's worth getting just to not get obsessed with because obviously that could be detrimental also but it's worth having a look uh, to see how you are sleeping and what types of uh, sleep that you're getting um, so yeah I think that's that's about it really these are just a few things that we've we've put into place and in the main we get we get a good night's sleep generally and we feel quite refreshed um, the next day we're not lagging round about three o'clock anymore because uh, that's usually when it hits you so yeah it's um, worth looking into and I hope you've got something out of that and I hope there's some things that we we've put into place that you might think on and yeah put in put in your uh, sleep I think they call it sleep hygiene um, uh, and get better sleep and in the main get better recovery because that's what we all want so okay that's it for another episode thanks very much for listening I hope you've enjoyed it and uh, we shall see you next time and if you'd like to get in touch um, you can always email us at agegroupmultisportpodcast at gmail.com and you can get in touch at Instagram at amp underscore 1967 drop us a DM if you want or some comments would be really nice uh, you can get hold of us on Facebook at ampgb you can listen to all the episodes on our YouTube channel, which is AmpGB, and also our website, which is agegroupmultisportpodcast.buzzsprout.com. They're all on there. And um, we're on Twitter at agegroupmultisportpodcast. And, yeah, as usual, stay safe, keep training, and love the process. Bye.